Welcome back to Trending in Education. Dan Stratford, Michael Palmer along with you. And on today's episode, we're going to take a look at the ongoing story that is the Varsity Blues scandal. Obviously, many different ways to go on this one. We are going to take a fine look at the media attention to it and why that is such a fascinating storyline to follow. Talk about some of the peripheral stories as well. New charges brought. Uh, Felicity Huffman getting out of her uh, sentence of 14 days as this podcast is out in the world. So plenty to get to. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, I have, haven't have been in prison the last two weeks. Okay, good so, to know. Uh, you know, little things, little things that uh, we sometimes take for granted. Um, but it is interesting that uh, Felicity Hoffman, Huffman, excuse me, is about to be released or has just been released. Uh, you know, at the time that we're taping this, she is soon to be released. And um, it's interesting just to see the, the way the, the, the narrative is unfolding in front of us. And, uh, and then I think the narrative is the thing that is really interesting to me. Like, why, why is this story so resonant? Uh, and why is it getting ongoing coverage? Um, I think is really the, the angle that is interesting. And then it helps us talk about like lifetime movies that are being released. I think the first one, which we need to do our homework, Dan, like the first one is out. I think it looked like it was out on Lifetime uh, October 12th. So uh, as I said, this is ongoing. So uh, we're going to need to circle back, watch that, and have our take on it. But um, but I'm just blown away by how much this uh, translates directly into the type of pop culture that uh, that the that the at least in the US like that we kind of thrive on like it it's like desperate housewives you know felicity's original gig uh it's like the real housewives of orange county or wherever they live uh where it has a reality tv component to it it's even named after pop culture so like it's named after uh varsity blues the uh is it jason vanderbeek what james, is james 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 vanderbeek, vanderbeek. Excuse me, my bad, uh, Dawson. Right. Uh, I wasn't as avid a Dawson. I knew it was happening. I got to admit, I wasn't a huge Dawson's Creek fan. Joshua Jackson, Katie Holmes. Apparently one of us was. I wouldn't uh, say a fan. I was aware. You were aware. But, uh, but it's all very like, this story hits all those nodes of like, I remember that show. Or I kind of, oh, and I always liked Aunt Becky. You know, and and then so that sort of is already activated. Like these are kind of public figures who are uh, becoming the 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 main aspect of the story. But it's interesting that it kind of is this thin veneer on top of some of the more fundamental problems that we're trying to navigate uh, around uh, inclusion, exclusivity, elitism, uh, folks who have money. Um, gaining unfair access over those who don't money and influence um and then even the sense of accountability you know like in some ways uh i do think the felicity huffman um pleading guilty doing her uh 13 to 14 days of hard time and getting on with her life uh you know i believe she you know she paid a fine and she kind of just kind of took her took her lumps and is ready to move on uh is an interesting contrast to uh, Lori Lachlan uh, and her husband, uh, who are uh, really fighting the charges, uh, and even the nature of 
the charges is very different. In the case of, uh, you know, Felicity Huffman, uh, she was paying uh, this organization to change her daughter's SAT scores. So like uh, a proctor was changing the scores for uh, right. Felicity Huffman's daughter. Uh, that's what they pled guilty to. But in the case of the Lachlans, it was a much bigger uh, expenditure on their side and it was in order to get their daughters onto the crew team at USC. And uh, that, and it's interesting that they, uh, they pled not guilty there. So um, I think there's a lot to dig into here. Um, for me, it's still very much about, you know, are people held accountable in our society? And in particular, when folks who are uh, of like the, the, the sort of elite layer, uh, when they're caught, are they held accountable? Right. And that's why, like, I think there is something um, very clean and um, purifying almost to what Felicity Hoffman is going through. And I just think that's a very interesting contrast to um, fighting the charges, which is what the, you know, Aunt Becky is doing. And then the reality is there's 51, 50 plus people who are indicted. So like, why are we just so drawn to the pop culture component? Yep. Um, and is there more to dig into about that, about what that means about uh, just narrative and social media and going viral and being relevant? Um, I think those are all really interesting areas to, to explore. And then, you know, that we can't, we, don't, we almost don't as a culture have the appetite to get into the, the complexity and sort of the, the moral hazard around this story. And we just prefer to have like water cooler chatter. Yeah, bubblegum. Yep. Yeah, yeah. How's the weather? It's great. Oh, hey, you hear about Felicity Huffman? You know, like it's it's just it allows for that sort of surface conversation to happen. But uh, but at some point there is um, there's more lurking beneath uh, the tip of that iceberg, and uh, you know we're not going to get too deep into that. But I think it is interesting that we prefer to just sort of stay in the frothy surface uh, rather than plumb the depths. There have been some good articles and we, we plan on shaping up a, a separate show around other aspects of this story. And, and one of them is about inequality. Like you mentioned, the Atlantic had a, a deep dive into inequality and emissions and, and we'll get to that at a different time. I find the psychology of celebrity a really intriguing topic like why do we care so much about these movie stars or television stars or athletes and what they do comparatively to uh, a banker or to a doctor or to someone else who isn't in the limelight why do they one get our praise but also get such harsh rebukes when they do something wrong as comparatively to you know there's a, a number of different people as you said 51 caught up in this story it's the, the tabloid error, you know, you go to the supermarket and you see all these different tabloids there with celebrities on the cover and what they may or may not have done wrong. Social media, TMZ, like these are all sort of spawns of the celebrity culture. And you mentioned social media. You even think back though, you read stories about Joe DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe. You read stories about celebrities throughout the, the 20th century having a different viewpoint of the world. And we put them up on pedestals and we love to drag them down. And I haven't found any. I was searching as we ran up to record this one on that psychology, like what, what draws us in, what makes it matter to us so much and why we can flip the switch so quickly. 
You know, we forgive friends, we forgive family. We don't seem to be as forgiving when it comes to people who we put up on those pedestals in this celebrity uh, platform uh, when they do wrong. So it is an interesting question to me of, of how it's all handled. And I'll say this, I think your point about the coverage overall staying sort of on the, the frothy top of it is also a media question. What, what is it that is easy here? Is it simply clicks and we know people care about it or are people afraid to peel back the layers of the onion on this one and really dive into it? Right. Well, it's funny when you're talking about the layers of the onion, uh, I was thinking about when the onion was, uh, and when you're peeling back the layers of the onion, uh, you know, like part of this scandal is almost too funny to be true. Uh, it's not, because it's not actually that funny, but like the idea that like, you know, reminds me of the Marx Brothers, uh, you know, who I'm a big fan of, but like they were very famous for um, exposing the, um, the, the pompousness of the, the elite class. And a lot of their humor was just exposing that as uh, they're just like us and they have the same foibles as, uh, as, as the common person. Right. Um, I think there's an element of that here. Uh, interestingly though, I, I think it's almost um, because Felicity Huffman and uh, Lori Loughlin as mothers almost represent something kind of archetypal. Um, I think it, you know, parents who want the best for their kids um, I think everyone can identify with that motive and uh, particularly as, you know, future economic prospects are getting a little more questionable, like who knows, you know, what the best path is in terms of uh, growing yourself and your career. Um, I think parents are nervous. The parents are anxious about their kids. Uh, they want to represent for them in the best way possible. And then the fact that these celebrities who were sort of human accessible, in their private lives are making, um, you know, morally questionable decisions in support of what's best for their kids. Uh, I think that ambiguity is what makes it really uh, appealing as well. Cause like, I think even as much as we're, we want to villainize them, I think I've heard many folks express empathy for them too, where, um, you know, and then at the same time, I think the main take is just like some sense of accountability, not just for them, but for everyone, you know, and I was, I was happy to hear that uh, the ringleader of this whole thing, um, even though he did turn state's evidence and uh, implicate his co-conspirators, uh, he is still being charged. Uh, I saw like, you know, up to 65 years in, in prison. So like uh, Rick Singer, right. Is the guy's name um, in some ways he's the real, villain here um but it's almost like we're just tired of the narrative of the white dude who did bad who really should get beat up and you know is is acting inappropriately once that crosses over to okay now we're talking around about very likable um actresses uh and i do think there is a gendered element to this i think yeah. the idea that like you know we can kind of go after these these mothers um William H. Macy wasn't even charged. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that's because of bias. I think he, as far as I can tell, that's just because he wasn't aware of this action. But, um, but I think, you know, it's sort of the way I think of, um, 
semiology, which is a concept, you know, Roland Barthes uh, back in the day uh, talked a lot about wrestling in the 50s. There's a famous essay, uh, Roland Barthes, uh, B-A-R-T-H-E-S, for those of you who want to uh, go digging the depths. But he talked a lot about uh, semiology and how like things are frequently representative of a deeper narrative. And I think th this is where like I like to say zeitgeisty, but like this stuff is almost a morality play sure playing out right in front of us uh you know it has almost a it's almost a, a wrestling kind of vibe to it too where it's like you want to just have a very clear take who's good who's bad yep who's the villain who's, guilty, who's innocent who's done their time who hasn't um there's been more talk uh which i think has been interesting around uh the the other victims of this um because like it is interesting like whose seats w were uh taken uh through these actions and um how at risk are the folks who didn't get access to these things um i think is also an interesting question uh which does remind me of the conversation we had with uh, michael horn about choosing college where um if the reason you're going to college is to signal that you can get into the best school right. and that's really, and that's a gateway to access the right networks and access the right uh, career opportunities down the road. Um, that's really what this is about. And it's about the parents of, of kids who really want to get them into the right college because if they're in the right college, everything else will figure itself out. What, choosing college, which I, I, I would recommend Michael Horn's new book talks about is that that transaction isn't the same for everyone. Not everyone is going to college for that reason. And, um, and I think even some of the people who maybe didn't get, you know, the, because the Lachlan twins were admitted uh, on their scholarship, um, there are likely are two people out there who didn't get access to USC. Did their life go off the rails or did they just wind up going to another uh, university and is at the end of the day, you know, the onus really on the learner or the student to make the most out of their higher education experience, regardless of the school. Um, I generally land more in that camp where like, I think it's almost like, it's almost like falsely portrayed as tragic and, you know, this sort of aggrievement of not getting access to these elite universities. Um, I think there's many folks for whom those elite universities are actually going to be a bad choice. And if you just get in, maybe it turns out for the better for you, but like, there's also a negative narrative there. There's also where like, I just, I didn't feel like it worked for me. Like a lot of people drop out of Harvard. Like a lot of, we talked to Nancy Sanchez in the past about transfer students. Some colleges, some universities do a really nice job of integrating those folks. Others don't, you know? And, um, you know, I think that aspect of the conversation, um, should happen and um you know maybe we can help steer some of the narrative in that direction too where it's like you know rather than trying to get into the best school you know how do you figure out how to get into the best school for you and your family yep. you know and then and then is that even you know do you need to get into it right away you know is it okay to take that gap year and be very thoughtful about um what you want to accomplish with that time. And then, and then when you're ready, uh, you're more genuinely ready to make the most, get the best return on your time at college. Um, 
maybe there's a benefit there. So um, it is interesting, like in, in, in some cases, it seemed like the, the kids are the victims in an odd way as well, where like, at least allegedly they didn't know, you right. know, so like their parents were just so controlling of this um, opportunity for their kids that their kids really didn't even know what was going on behind the scenes. And again, I think it's probably like a little bit overstated to view them as as victims when you think about the level of access that they have and the likelihood that they're going to have um, they're going to continue to have that type of access throughout their lives. But um, but I think you know when you start digging deeper, when you start peeling that onion, uh, as you were saying, Dan, um, there's there's a lot of complexity around this transaction for families. Like this, that's probably one of the biggest decisions any of us make in terms of our educational lives and then yep. frequently that decisions made by like a 17 year old with their parents in the room with them um it's a very emotionally charged thing and uh and then i think that's maybe in part why it it plays nicely as like a lifetime movie I, two things on the lifetime movie i do think you just hit on part of it of the a large number of people have gone through similar situations of trying to choose a college, trying to pay for college, trying to figure out how to get into that one that you feel like you have to go to. Um, Michael, again, you may mention Michael Horn, which I think is a great callback and should listen to that episode uh, to hear his insight and read the book. Uh, honestly, it was a great read. Isn't just about college. There, there's a lot there that you can glean that should just apply to life in general about decision-making and the like. But you look back at it and you talk about the decision-making around college and the idea of a safety school versus a reach versus the ones in between. Why do we do that? Well, it's sort of just the way it's always been done and the way we've been taught. And you think about the parents maybe doing this without the kids knowing and, and pushing for their kids to get just a little bit more, just a little bit more access, just a little bit more ahead of the pack and why we as a culture, as a people feel like that's necessary. Why do we need that extra leg up? Why do we as parents now, as you know, we, we move up the chain uh, of now having kids who will go to college one day or maybe not, depending on, on what, where their lives lead, how much will we do? Will we be influenced by society and this structure or are we helping have a discussion around better decision-making, better return on investment, better return on learning? Uh, reminds me of uh, Ali Mistal, was a, 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 he's a, a somebody who's on MSNBC a lot around politics right now, but he's obviously uh, over at a, uh, Above the Law and appeared on shows at Kaplan. And I had a great conversation with him about law school investment. And he always said, he goes, you have to worry about how much you're spending and what you're getting out of it. And, and that is such a big thing for him and, and Above the Law uh, that I think it trickles down to college and to just decisions in general of the time you're putting into something, the investment you're making in it, and what you get on the other side of it. And as I peel the onion or dig into this deeper, it seems like parents were making decisions for students, for their kids, that may not have been in their best interest, to your point. Were these the schools they should have gone to? Was this the best choice for these individual students? And I agree with you, maybe they're not victims, but they definitely take bear the brunt of their parents' decision here. Right. They bear this, this on them now moving forward. Whether or not Lori Lachlan's kids will continue to make Instagram videos and get tons of views, we'll have to wait and see. Right. Uh, but, but they are in the limelight because of choices their parents made. Yeah, it reminds me, uh, you know, full circle on, uh, you know, Varsity Blues, like the famous uh, meme-able viral quote is, I don't want your life. And 
in some ways that is manifested in the Lachlan twins, at least like who, I don't want your life. I don't want to go to USC. I can become a, a video influencer. And um, I think that's an interesting angle to this where it's like their parents want the best for their kids as they understand it. But at least at this moment in time, uh, you know, we were, you know, sort of joking about the, the Kardashians as we were prepping, but like, you know, the Kardashians are, are choosing not to go to college, you know, like they're at the, to the best of my knowledge. And uh, although if they're looking for, for prep, we, we would be happy to provide it to them. But like the, that's just an interesting uh, choice. Like for them, the value of staying in this media influencer dynasty that they're in is it's almost like a no brainer. Like why would they, you know, they'll start a fashion line. Like they're not gonna, they'll model, like they're not gonna go to college at least now they'll probably go later on in life. And um, it is interesting, like a listers versus B listers too, like, or the level of fame and notoriety that the celebrities had in some ways, this was interesting in that it wasn't, you know, the tippity top of the food chain of the moneyed elite, but they were kind of like representative. And, uh, and they were also folks who kind of had a, a positive, uh, you know, kind of, kind of clean image. And, uh, and I think that's the other aspect of this that, um, that I think was surprising that people gravitate to is like, you know, the way we imagine uh, a lifestyle of a successful actor and their family uh, you know, we expect it to be, you know, the American dream, everything's great, they don't worry about anything, everything's fine. When in reality, you know, there's a little bit of affluenza risk here too, where like, you know, the, the folks who are hungrier, uh, who really see uh, these standardized tests and performing at a certain level as their way to get in to the life that they want, um, I know I felt that way when I was taking my SATs. You know, Mike, you, you made mention earlier about the, this script was almost already written. Like we, we were watching the, the Greek tragedy unfold or whatever phrase we want to use. Uh, there was a, I believe a Slate article. Yeah, I'm pulling it back up now. Back uh, when the trailer for the Lifetime movie first came out that what, dissected the trailer, you know, they went frame by frame and made sure uh, everything about it. But at the bottom of this article, it points out um, that in the trailer, Kirshner's character tells the man arranging everything that he's, quote, worth every penny of the half million dollars that we paid you, end quote. And when you hear a phrase like that, you're like, oh, that sounds pretty, you know, over the top. Whoever wrote that was, it's actually pulled directly from an affidavit from the FBI. Like th those were words that one of the dads used uh, in talking to, while this thing was happening, uh, talking to Singer, I believe. It's art imitating life, life imitating art. It's happening, and I think you are right. That is part of what's drawing us in. That it's it is salacious and it is over the top in a certain way. Um, and there is, I think, to the point I made earlier, we've all been in decision making mode where we have to choose the the path of re least resistance, the the moral path, or maybe the little bit more nefarious path where we get what we want, but we do something we're not really proud of. And right. this is something that these parents, I, I would assume at this point, are not very proud of. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting, like how much do you need to have to feel like that $500,000? Sure. You know, so like if you have $600,000, you're probably not gonna say that. If you have $50 million, maybe you will say that, you know, and like, 
I think that's the aspect, particularly when you look at, um, you know, we're entering into this election year, there's a lot of talk about uh, the 1% and wealth inequity and all those kinds of things. Um, this does uh, shine a light on that, you know, and uh, this corrupt actor um, was trying to take advantage of that thin slice of our culture for whom money really is not an object. And I think when you think about the value that that $500,000 could deliver to people who genuinely need it, uh, that's that's where it also starts to, to open up some questions around, uh, you know, where's the best return on your spend? And if you're trying to open up access, you're trying to help people, you know, it'd be great if we could find a way to turn some of this into a way to fund access to college for uh, kids who otherwise, you know, really couldn't afford it. So like, you know, it's, it's just challenging when many families and, and the student loan crisis is such that it is, um, there's this level of uh, really disconnect within our society that some families will see spending $500,000 to get access to an elite school for their kids. Sure, let's do that. And then meanwhile, the debt burden and um, the, the, the real impact this is having to the lives of millennials and Gen Zs, folks who are trying to enter the workforce with student loan debt. Um, it's just, uh, it does come back to the, the sort of the symbolism of all this, that there are, there are folks at the top who are not really held accountable typically. And that's the professional wrestling part where like, I think we do want to see them held accountable. We want to see the, the public uh, spectacle of folks who thought they were going to get away with something corrupt being held accountable. Um, I think there's a real thirst for that nowadays. And, um, and I think targeting these, you know, really these two women as sort of the scapegoats for what we want to work out in terms of our own understanding of what fairness is and what access to education should be. Uh, I think it's really interesting. And I, and I think, you know, it's, it's a, hopefully it's a topic we'll continue to track because I think we're trying to understand how um, the collective story is being told mm -hmm. of what's happening in the world of college, what's happening in uh, the future of work. Um, how do we, how do we address problems of access and inequity? Uh, and how do you ultimately, um, you know, design for a culture of fairness um, and access? Um, those are really interesting questions. And I think this, this makes, this, this, this makes you uh, begin to think about things that I think if you do go beneath that uh, the frothy layer at the top, uh, there is, uh, there's really uh, depth to plumb Mm -hmm. The challenge is I don't think there's easy answers. I think it's like, you know, folks want stuff to be tidy and closed off. And like in some ways, Felicity's free. Hooray. Let's close that chapter. She learned her lesson. Let's move on. Um, I think there's probably more here uh, that we actually will continue to wrestle with. And then we're going to use narrative like this to help us try to and like myth making Yep. to help us. Um, you know, grapple with really complex ideas. So, um, so yeah, it's interesting stuff. Plus it let us talk about lifetime movies, right? So, uh, so we, it's a win-win. We, we will have to watch it and we'll have to get back to everybody about uh, the quality therein. I'm sure it's fantastic. I will point out as we close, uh, James Vanderbeek has a Twitter account. And when this story broke, uh, he went on Twitter and, and tweet, uh, retweeted with a quote, quote tweeted uh, saying, if only there was a succinct turn of phrase 
that could tell these parents what they should have done, which is, I don't want your life. So he owns the moment there uh, yeah. to, to himself. He's now on Dancing with the Stars. So yeah. good luck to, yeah. to Mr. Vanderbeek. Open, open invite, uh, you know, if we want to get James Vanderbeek's take. You know, he went to college with my brother. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work some back channels. I'm going to see. I see what I see. See if Mr. Vanderbeek wants to come on. If you, as a random aside, he was on Tignataro's. Uh, and my guest is. Brilliant show. Check it out. Uh, I'm a big fan of Tignataro as the comedian. But a brilliant show from a media perspective as well, uh, which you should check out. But as always, you want to check us out. That's why you're here listening to us talk about uh, education and learning. We always want to hear from you on topics or articles that you find interesting, you want us to talk about or bring guests on to talk about. Happy to do that. You can find us at trainingandeducation.com. We're on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash trainingandeducation. Twitter, at trainingandead. Facebook is the same. Message us on any of those platforms. Quote, tweet us, whatever it might be, to let us know that you're listening and what you like about the show and what we can be covering in the future. With that said, as always, thank you so much for listening to Trending in Education. Thank you.